eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast. It is a Tuesday in late June. The people have been asking for some ECU basketball content, and we don't have much going on really outside of recruiting, which we've been slammed with on Hoist the Colors, of course. We've had our football prod- podcast as well, but we're talking basketball today. We're talking pirate hoops. I'm fired up for the Mike Schwartz era to continue heading into year two. I've got Kaysen Romaley. He's an intern with Hoist the Colors. He's heading into his is it your final semester or final year at ECU, Case, in this Look, coming year? It's, it's going to be final semester, and then I'm just going to stay here for the rest of the year. Looking, going to enjoy the first jobs, the first real job search of my life, and just also enjoy the rest of the ECU athletic year. So you're going to stick around for ECU's uh, March Madness tournament run? Yes, I will be at our Sweet 16 game, Elite Eight, Final Four run. I'll be there for that 100%. All right, so Kaysen, he was with us last year on Hoisted Colors, and he joined us for a few podcasts. And really, this fall, we really want to get him, and really starting this summer, we really want to get him involved with more basketball coverage because he's got a tremendous passion for it, which you'll see here shortly with some of our AAC team previews. But he just, uh, he's got a great passion for it. He follows the team closely. He follows the sport closely. So we're going to get him on our basketball podcast. We're also going to get him at some point on 94.3 The Game when that show returns in the fall for some basketball talk as well. So, uh, Casey, I know you're excited about kind of expanding your role with Hoist the Colors. And uh, I tell you what, before we dive into kind of what this offseason has been for ECU and and everything there, uh, I, I do want to kind of touch on just the format of the show. So this is going to be a weekly podcast Unless one of us goes on vacation, we may take a week off at some point. But kind of our, our plan here is to preview. We were trying to come up with a way to do this the right way. Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to preview two ECU players from the current basketball roster each week. 
and we're going to preview two AAC teams outside of ECU each week as well. So we're going to have really four previews in one show each week. And in addition to that, we may have, of course, some discussions about other things, like if the schedule comes out, which is usually around August, we may do something on that. The MTE, the schedule to be inside Menji's Coliseum, we may do a separate show on that, previewing that. So we've got several things in the cards. We're even maybe doing a – Kaysen had a cool idea about the top moments from this past sports calendar season with ECU, kind of a bracket style where we could look at uh, you know each of the top moments and have fans vote on that. So we may come up with something there in the coming weeks as well because it's kind of a downtime right now, but still plenty to discuss. We've already got some questions as well on YouTube which we'll get into. Uh, again, drop your questions. We're live on YouTube, Facebook. Uh, comment. Let us know what you think of the show, what you want us to cover going forward, and we'll do that. So, okay, so let's, let's get into our uh, our overall thoughts on just this offseason with ECU basketball as a whole, man. First, before we kind of answer a few of these questions that are coming in, people are fired up for some pirate hoops. But uh, it's been a big offseason for Mike Schwartz, A, from the – in my opinion, the most important thing is retaining talent. They've added some key pieces as well, and uh, they've added some freshmen. So just your overall vibes on what Mike Schwartz has been able to do coming off a 16-win season. I think for the first time in a long time, there's some real excitement coming into the program, and I think that uh, Schwartz has capitalized on that and got the right talent guy, got the right talent in. And I also think he's the type of coach where he's going to get his guys. He's not always going to go for the biggest name or the best player. He's going to go what fits his program. And I think he has done that this past offseason because I think what everyone knows, losing Javon Small is very tough. And he went out and got a point guard to replace him in Bobby Pettiford. And I'm expecting pretty big things from Bobby. And I think, um, him, Bobby, Ezra, and Brandon are going to be a huge trio that are really good foundation blocks for the future. Yeah, Pettiford with two years left. The thing you like about this roster is if everybody stays together, they should and continue to progress. And that, that's the biggest question people had going into this offseason was could they retain Ezra? Could they retain Brandon Johnson? By the way, when we get into our player previews here shortly, we're going to talk about Brandon Johnson. Then we're going to talk about Caleb LeCount, kind of our expectation for those two guys. And then we'll preview Memphis and Rice. So we're going to try and pick a player that we expect to play a lot, maybe a player that you know has some questions, and also a team that we expect a lot from, and a team maybe uh, potentially at the bottom of the conference, though Rice may be closer to the middle or the top, which we'll get into that discussion here shortly. Um, but, yeah, but the biggest thing for me, Kaysen, was – I'm glad they found some other point guards. We can talk about Cam Hayes and kind of the uncertainty with his eligibility. But, you know, you got Pettiford. You, we know Jaden Walker can can move to the point if needed. But retaining Ezra, retaining RJ, those were the two guys I continued to hear buzz about, especially Ezra, man, on that final day or two of the transfer portal deadline. There was a lot of buzz that Georgia, Georgia Tech were trying to get him into the portal. And for him to stay, I think it was a major win for Mike Schwartz. Yes, 100%. And a big thing in college basketball nowadays is you have to have a very solid front court. And if you want to be a good team, you need at least one. But Schwartz has two very good, experienced bigs. Yes, Grant Johnson has two years, but Ezra has one year, and he played very well in his freshman year. And I think having them in the uh, front court is very strong. And maybe in – Hopefully we can see Ezra's jump like we did Brandon Johnson this past year of him spreading out his game and stretching the floor more, which has become crucial 
And also, I think Brandon Johnson has changed with college basketball because now you want your bigs to be able to stretch the floor. You want your bigs to be able to come off, uh, take and pop top of the top of the key, hit a three. You want you want your bigs to be able to spread the floor. And I think and I think that is huge for I think that's huge for this team as a whole. And I think that's the trend in college basketball right now as well. All right, let's get into some of these questions and we'll dive into Brandon Johnson expectations for him going into the new season. Uh, Christian Bateman says thoughts on what we've seen in practice from this new team so far. So, Christian, I have not been out to practice. I don't think Kaysen has either um, to this point. I, I have texted with some sources and just basically the gist of it is early on the returning guys, as you would expect, kind of leading the way, the newcomers, specifically the freshmen, really learning on the fly right now. I mean, it is basically daily workouts uh, as far as in the weight room. Of course, they get some time off, but then they're doing some some pretty extensive drills. In the practice facility, they have not done a ton of five-on-five to this point, so like it's more skill and development right now. You'll get more into that side of things July, August is when you'll see some five-on-five. I think we'll know a little bit more then, but right now it's more talk about um, just the, the, the culture setting the foundation. I have heard very good things about Bobby Pettiford and Cam Hayes in terms of taking on leadership roles. Uh, Ezra right now not practicing because he's coming off shoulder surgery, which we'll get into when we talk Ezra Osar maybe next week, um, which could affect his ability to shoot the ball in a more positive light going forward. But uh, that is kind of the discussion at practice right now. Christian also says, I go hire me to go to practices. Hey, if we were allowed out there, I'd be there and I would let you uh, let you get it done. But uh, maybe we can get out there soon. Um, Weston says, any other out-of-conference games outside of the tournament in Minji's? So we know, Kaysen, that South Carolina and UNC Wilmington will be making a return trip to Minji's Coliseum this season, which I'm fired up about because – it's been a while since we've had an SEC team coming to Minji's. And to me, UNCW, ECU is always a great game, home or away. Yes, 100%. Those are two very strong, and they're very strong games to have on your schedule. Um, I definitely think that UNC Wilmington coming here is going to bring in a whole lot of buzz. I think you could argue that it will bring in more buzz than South Carolina coming in because of the state of both those programs. South Carolina is a rebuilding right now, and Wilmington is and Wilmington came off a – pretty good year this past year so i think them be on the schedule is very very good for the team and also schwartz when he was on hoist the colors on 94.3 the game with me he did say that ecu has agreed to a home and home with an atlantic 10 school he would not tell me the school but he did say uh in the region ecu will be on the road for that game this coming season so we'll, we'll keep an eye on when that contest is announced um Christian also asked most outstanding player of the newcomers th- so, so, so far. Again, very early. Uh, I've heard very good things about Sikori Faison. I'm sure you have too, Kaysen. And again, I think Pettiford and Hayes are, are going to make an impact as well. Just your yeah. thoughts there. Yeah, I think uh, Faison is going to change, is going to open a lot of people's eyes. Not just people, a lot of coaches around the country saying, why didn't I not hear about this kid, offer this kid? He is a special talent. I have high expectations for him. And also with Cam and Bobby, Cam and Bobby have been in big games for the first part of their college career. And being and Bobby being a national champion, Bobby being in big games, and also Cam being in big games, whether it's been in Raleigh or in, or down there in Baton Rouge. He's been in he's been in big time moments. 
And I think that those moments and that experience is going to be huge for this team going forward. All right. Josh Betts says, um, can Mike Schwartz use his Tennessee connections to get Chase Burns to be a pirate? Maybe if he comes up with $300,000 to offer him. Um, that's all NIL right there. He is I'll not coming him. to ECU. I'll pitch him $500 right now. Yeah. Well, Kaysen's in. If everybody uh, watching right now, listen, uh, listening in, if they all pitch in a couple hundred bucks, maybe we can get Chase Burns to to Greenville. But I don't think it's going to be Mike Schwartz's connection that's going to land him. Um, when will we know if Cam Hayes is eligible for this season? Probably. I don't know when the waiver will be submitted, but probably not for at least another month or so. Um, doesn't seem like it's going to be imminent. And so you're kind of having to prepare – you know, kind of like you, you won't have them just in case you, you won't because you can't have them in all your plays, all your kind of expectations going into the season um, and then not have them. So going off that, we're getting a lot of questions, a lot more than I thought we would. This is this is good, Case. This is a good sign, man. People want some Pirate Hoops talk. Um, so Reed wants to know, do we think Hayes and Pettiford could carry ECU to a top three finish in the AAC? Again, we don't know if Cam is eligible. We'll get into our AAC preview here shortly, and starting with Memphis and Rice. But and we'll save kind of our season predictions for later this this year when we actually know who's eligible, who's not, Kaysen. But uh, I, I don't think Pettiford and Hayes can carry ECU there. I think it's going to have to be a, a total team effort. You kind of said it best. Like, yeah, there is some star power on this team, but I, I feel like more importantly than that, like the team has to continue to. To, to get into Mike Schwartz's culture and, and specifically improve on the defensive side of the ball to really get to where they want to go. Yeah, 100%. I definitely think I definitely think Cam and Bobby are two really strong foundational pieces, but I think them alone cannot carry us to a top three finish. But I definitely think that if you have them two and then the and then the strong bigs that we have, the strong front court, and then I, I also think that we need to we need some additional three point help on the wing with Hayes with Hayes and Bobby. So I definitely think that may possibly not this year, but the foundation blocks are there. All right, Christian, no, uh, no shortage of questions from the, the bait man today. He says, how hard is it to get media passes for ECU men's basketball? Well, you got to have a, like a credentialed website or something that, you know, some sort of outlet, some sort of media outlet to get a credential. Um, but um, otherwise you can't just be, I don't know a, a fan and get a credential. So if you're if you're attached to a media outlet, then you can definitely get one. Um, and ECU basketball needs more coverage. I mean, it, it's to be honest, it's kind of disappointing how little coverage it gets at times. And that's why we're starting this podcast because I feel like there is a real passion behind the program right now, and I feel like there's investment in the program from the administration. I feel like Coach Schwartz and his staff have done a really good job setting the foundation. So, uh, you know, as, as someone who covers ECU athletics, I'm all for trying to get this program more attention, which is why we're doing this podcast. Uh, Josh Betts. All right, last question, then we'll get into the, our preview. Otherwise, we're never going to get to it. Is this roster set, transfer portal, or any late additions? Right now, the roster is set, Josh Betts. There's 13 scholarship players, which is the maximum you can have. And they, the team is enrolled fully enrolled and so barring any late dismissals or departures the roster is set there will not be any late changes the team we're previewing is the team 
that we expect to see on the hardwood this fall. All right, Christian, we'll get to your question after we answer or, or discuss these player previews. So let's get into it a little bit, Kaysen. We'll start with the theme of this podcast. Brandon Johnson, who had just a really strong sophomore year, had a kind of a breakout season in really many respects. And I still remember the first game of the year, he comes out firing three-pointers, and they're going in. He's not just shooting them. And it was clear, and I remember going to some early practices last year, and, and Coach Schwartz and his staff were saying, hey, the one thing we need Brandon to do to open up our offense is shoot the three ball. Clearly, he developed that skill. He ended up, as I look at the numbers here, shooting 33% from three-point range. He took the second most three-pointers on the team, 141 behind R.J. Felton's 196. 33%, pretty solid. He was a good free-throw shooter, 75%. Really good rebounder, one of the best in the league, eight uh, per game, 12.3 points per game. He did turn the ball over 61 times compared to 60 assists, which isn't terrible, uh, but he could improve that as well. And then 30 steals, 22 blocks. So Brandon Johnson really had a, a, a phenomenal year. He started all 30, uh, 32 games he played in. 32.4 minutes was the second most on the team in terms of average minutes per game. So I don't think you could have asked for a much better year from Brandon Johnson. Just your thoughts on, on how good uh, BJ was last year. He had an outstanding year last year, and I remember – us talking before the season with Schwartz and then media day of um, him saying, uh, Brandon Johnson is going to be shooting threes. And I, and when he said, I thought of myself, Oh, Oh, he's gonna have one or two here, but no, he was shooting them at a very, very high clip. And he was, and he was very efficient for a big man in his first year shooting threes, which I think is a big part of the success that ECU had last year. But I do think one thing, I do think one thing that'll be important this year is getting is, getting him off the floor and rest at some points because some points during the game, you could tell he was gassed. And also he would also, he would have to be out there because of his impact on the game and because of how important he was and in those moments. But I think that this year, a crucial part of this team is going to be getting front court depth and giving Ezra and Brandon a opportunity, especially Brandon to get off the floor, rest and recuperate. Yeah, so freshman year, and again, he played a, a JUCO year at Brunswick Community College, but that was the COVID year, so it didn't count against him. So he's going into his junior year, and he's played two years of Division One basketball. His freshman year under Joe Dooley's staff, he only attempted 14 three-pointers. He made three. He went three of 14, 21%. He actually played a decent amount. He played 17.5 minutes per game over 30 games with five starts, but he was basically more of a rebounder, putback type player you know he did average uh 4.7 points per game and 5.1 rebounds so he was a solid rebounder already but just didn't look to shoot and that changed completely last year and even coach Schwartz said they wanted him to shoot more than he did like they felt he could score more shoot more etc um and I think we saw that towards the second half of the year and you make a good point case in that his Really, his percentage kind of dipped as the year went on because I felt like he was playing too many minutes. And not that I fault the coaches for that because they were trying to win the games and he was their, one of their best players. Um, and so 33% at the end of the day was his shooting percentage from three-point range. For me, a big piece of Brandon Johnson going forward is getting more efficient from three-point range. And that should come with better pieces around him, maybe some better shot selection at times. 
Um, just do you think you can elevate that number to, you know, 35, 36% be a little more efficient offensively? Yes, 100%. I, I think he can. And I think a big reason of that is um, I think there were some points this, I think there were some points this past year, especially with the injury to Javon Small late. I mean, I think there were some points we could all feel it that Brandon, that it was either we were going to win this game because of Brandon Johnson or we were going to lose it because of Brandon Johnson. And I also think that this upcoming year with, uh, Bobby coming in and hopefully if Cam can play and the uh, growth of the other players on the team, I think that we don't need to be so reliable on Brandon Johnson. Yes, he's still going to be a massive part, but I think he doesn't have to force as many shots. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to, he doesn't have to come down and take a, and take not a, not, not a great shot because no one else is open. I think that because of the talent that Schwartz has put around him, I think he can become more efficient and better as a player because there is going to be less on him, I think. So I'm looking at his numbers from last year, and interestingly enough, starting on February 1st, th these were his minute totals for the games from that point forward. So 34 minutes, 36 minutes, 33 minutes, 36, 34, 38, 35, 39, 36. He did play only 21 against South Florida in the AAC opener. That was due to foul trouble and – also, EC really pulled away in that second half. And then 39 against Houston in the conference tournament, uh, second round quarterfinal game. So, yeah, just just realistically too many minutes, especially for a guy who is having to get into the paint and bang some and be a physical player. You know, I do think the other area Brandon can grow is defensively. I think there are times, you know, it's not like he was bad defensively, but just being more physical, blocking more shots. For example, he blocked – almost as many shots as a freshman, 16, as he did last year, 22, and much less playing time as a freshman. So to me, that that signals Brandon's athletic enough to maybe alter more shot, shots. He's not going to be like a, a prototypical shot blocker, but I just feel like he can do more defensively too, and I'm sure that's something the, the coaches are stressing. Again, we're, we're kind of nitpicking here to try to see where he can get better. Um, but your thoughts on Brandon Johnson's defensive game? I – Definitely agree with everything you're saying 100%. But I think also on defense that goes in, that goes in, that mean most times, especially for basketball, most of the times the letdown come on the defensive end, especially when it comes with high minutes correlate with bad, high minutes correlate with bad defensive play. And I think that if, I mean, if you cut him down with minutes and also don't put him in not, not so great situations, I think, I think he can definitely improve 100%. And also at, and also at six eight, he's 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 at a great size. Where in my opinion, I think I think he can guard three through five in college basketball at at his size and length and athleticism. So I think he can definitely improve. And I think that wherever he plays defensively is going to be decided by on what position on what position he's guarding. So last year in the conference tournament, really towards the end of the season, case and we saw a lot of. The combination of Brandon Johnson, Ezra, and Luigi Debo all on the floor at the same time, especially in the conference tournament. And we saw it at a pretty high success rate, especially defensively, I felt like. And I remember the USF and Houston games, ECU looked like, I think, what Mike Schwartz wanted his best defensive teams to look like. Um, you know, at Tennessee, not that they were as athletic or shot blocking esque as that, but you had the size, the length. Maybe you gave up a little offense with Luigi on the floor, but they were really dominant defensively in most of those two games. So there's been some talk about moving BJ to the three in some lineups. I think he'll still, you know, primarily play the four and Ezra the five. 
or vice versa, depending on, you know, what the situation is. But your thoughts on if they go bigger, you know, how does Brandon continue to grow if he's going to play, you know, more maybe on the wing in some of those lineups? I definitely think that's a big talking point during this offseason on what on where Brandon is going to be put. And I also think that is another I also think that's going to be impacted by whether Cam Hayes gets the waiver or not, because I think if because I think if Cam Hayes gets that waiver, are you going to have are you going to have Cam or RJ Felton coming off coming off the bench? Or do you or do you start Bobby at the one, Cam at the two, RJ at three, and then BJ and Ezra at four and five? But let's say if let's let's just say Cam doesn't get that waiver, you you could you could then put BJ back back at the three. And I think honestly, either way, Brandon Johnson is going to perform great because he has proved he is a very dependable player. He's one of the more steady hands of ECU basketball right now. And I think that wherever he plays, he's going to be fine. But I definitely think Cam Hayes' decision and waivers will have a great impact on whether he plays three or four. And two, the just if the freshman bigs are, aren't good enough, you're probably not going to see that lineup either because – Realistically, the only person who's going to play a five over those two guys or right now, you know, Sierra Malonga and Callum Richard, the two freshmen, I think Sierra is probably the better defensive player right now, the better shot blocker, but Callum can help offensively. So a lot of it could depend on not only, you know, Cam Hayes, but also the big guys. How does that come into play? So the good news is you got versatility either way, depending on what happens there. All right, so big expectations for Brandon Johnson. I think we both think he's going to start regardless of where he's playing. Uh, he'll be a key part of this team. So what we're going to do to wrap up each player preview is we're going to try and project their stat line for the coming season. And so to give you an idea of what Brandon did last year, again, uh, we're going to go points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game. Casey, we can throw minutes per game, just a ballpark if you want to. Uh, but last year, minutes per game, he was 32.4 minutes per contest. 12.3 points per game, 8.1 rebounds, and I believe the assist, I can't, I think it was around two assists per game. Yeah, yeah it's 1.9. Yeah, okay, yeah. 60 assists in yeah. 32 games. So, yeah, right under two. Uh, I'll let you go first, man. What do you think from Brandon Johnson? Do you think those numbers go up, or do you think they, you know, stabilize or even come down maybe if he's not asked to do as much? I think that they should go up slight slightly. I think I think he should have I think he should average right at a double double. I'm gonna put him at around 14 to 15 points a game. I would say 14 and a half points per game. And I would also see him averaging right at nine, nine to ten rebounds. And I also think that if he's gonna be on the wing playing three, those assist numbers are gonna go up. So I'll say I'll say the same amount of his assists, one or two assists, but I definitely think if he can cut down those turnovers, that'll be huge. And also, hopefully those turnovers can be cut down with improvement because if he's going to be playing on the wing, there's going to be some scrappy guards scrapping at him because he's not a primary ball. He's not a primary. He's not a primary ball handler. So I think around I think around four I think around 14 and a half points, around eight or eight or nine rebounds, one or two assists. All fair points. I am going to go with the philosophy that I think he his numbers come down or stabilize a bit just because I feel like maybe he's not asked to do as much. I think he'll be more efficient though. I'm going to go with uh, 12 points per game, eight rebounds per game, which is basically about what he did last year and two assists per game. So I have a very similar stat line to what he did last year, but I think he's going to up his field goal percentage, which was at 43%, 43.9%. Uh, 
in 33.3%. I think he'll go down in minutes to around 30 per game as opposed to 32, 33. Uh, and I think he'll shoot a higher percentage. And so I think just that experience, another year under his belt. I think either way, Kaysen, you'd be happy with either of those stat lines if you're Mike Schwartz. Yes, 100%. I've got to put my minutes in there. I yeah. definitely think he should be sitting right at 30, if not right if not right under 30 for, for minutes. Because, I mean, that's – I mean – a normal big in college basketball is to get 20, 25 to 30 minutes. And if he's getting more than that, he's got a heck of a motor or you're, or you're here or he's gassed. So I think, Chris, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, Christian says, what about charges per game? <laughs> He'll take, uh, I'm going to go with uh, 0.5 charges per game for Brandon Johnson. How about that? Me too. I'll, and I will be teeter totting that. Yeah, that would be like 15 charges over the full season. So, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. How many are actually called charges versus block is the real question. Yeah, point, uh, point yeah after the two-lane debacle last year, we'll never, we'll never consider anything a charge maybe. All right, so there's our talk about Brandon Johnson, key piece. He'll be in the starting lineup this fall. All right, next player on our list is Caleb LeCount. And really one of the more interesting players on the roster, one of the more undersized guys in college basketball, was a high-level high scorer in high school in L.A., comes all the way from L.A. to ECU. I heard last year in the preseason he was really efficient scoring the ball in practice. For whatever reason, it just did not translate to games consistently. Early in the season now, he was scoring at a decent rate. He had some big moments off the bench, especially early on in the year, like in non-conference play. But then as the year went on and Javon Small got hurt in conference play, I think Caleb as a freshman kind of struggled with the physicality of the game. He ended the year 28 games played, six starts, 14.2 minutes per game, uh, 3.8 points per game, 1.5 assists. He had 41 – or excuse me, 1.5 rebounds per game, 41 assists to 40 turnovers in 28 games and 12 steals. What did you kind of make of Caleb's freshman year? I think expectations were all over the map. He wasn't really highly recruited, but I think he scored above 30 points per game in high school. So what did you make of Caleb's freshman season? I think that uh, – I think he had a very interesting first year. I think there were – I wouldn't say high expectations for him his freshman year but I definitely think there was some expectation for him and especially when Javon Small went down I think a lot of people looked at him and was like hey I think I, I think you're going to be up but um uh he he struggled as most as most college freshmen do as is nothing against him the physicality of the game and at his size is going to be tough and I think that uh when Jaden took over it was it was better of course but I definitely think that kind of maybe hurt his confidence a little bit but I definitely think from here and from practice and sources that he that he does have confidence to score and he knows that he knows that he can score the basketball. It's just about translating that to the court. And I also think one big thing in basketball is rhythm and rhythm and opportunity go together. And I and I think that when you're not on the floor a lot, you're not going to get in a rhythm. You're not going to get in a feel. But also then again, he did have opportunities where he would get on the floor and he just could not put it together at some point. So then it puts Schwartz in a tough situation of what do you do as a coach? And I think the biggest thing for Caleb is that, look, if you're going to be five, six, I can't remember if he's listed at five, eight, but he's probably five, six. If you're going to be that slight of stature, you have to be elite at 
shooting the ball, scoring the ball off the bounce, or just you know scoring the ball in general, or elite defensively. And last year he was not either of those things, which I think eventually led to his playing time being reduced, which again, freshman year in a brutal conference, not a, a big surprise, and that's nothing wrong. He still grew valuable uh, learning experiences from those experiences. I think he'll be a lot better. And so I look at his his role going into this year, and I'm, I'm looking at kind of the guards. And, of course, he's going to have to play on the point to play because due to his size. They brought in Pettiford, who we know is most likely going to open the year as a starting point guard. You've got Jaden Walker, who is capable of running the point but may be more comfortable off the ball. I would still put him ahead of, of uh, Caleb, given what we saw last year with him running the point versus Caleb. And then you got Cam Hayes, who can play on or off the ball as well. And so, to me, those three guys would be ahead of Caleb in the pecking order. But if Cam Hayes is ineligible, Caleb is basically your your 2B point guard and could have a very valuable role in this team. So, I, I still think he's got a chance to, to make an impact. Um, and if he can get his scoring knack back for a team that struggled to score last year, I, I think he's got a role. It's just a matter of can he do that. Yes, I think that this this is one of the biggest – this is, in my opinion, one of the biggest glaring weaknesses or problems with the team as a backup is a backup point guard. There is not necessarily a true backup point guard that if that if Bobby comes out of the game, you can hand this player the ball and it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna be no drop off in my opinion. And I think that and that and that is no slouch to Jaden or Caleb. I just think I just think Bobby's a really good player. He's proved it. But I definitely think that um I definitely think that if East U's gonna have a good season, Caleb LeCount is going to play well because if he's going he'll he'll account is going to have to play well because when he comes in he's going to be coming in for Bobby more than more than likely for maybe 10 12 minutes a game and I definitely think that if he has success the team's going to have success because I think Jaden Walker wants to go back and play the wing because yes he was a pretty good point guard but I mean you also want to play where you're where you're familiar so I definitely think that Caleb at backup point guard is going to be a crucial part of this team because of the lack of point guard that this team has and Schwartz is an L.A. guy. We talked about Caleb being an L.A. guy, so they've got a good relationship. And I think Schwartz is going to be very frank with him and tell him the areas he needs to improve in, especially from a physicality standpoint. I mean, looking at the roster, he's listed last year as a freshman at 148 pounds, which is just, you know, that's pretty light for a Division One college basketball guard. So hopefully he can add some mass this season and, you know, become that more more efficient player. I just think he's got to score – you know, last year did not shoot the three well. He shot 24% from three and 32% from the field. Like, and, and I've seen him in practice. He can shoot the ball. It's just a matter of he's got to get that confidence up. So I think this is a huge offseason for his development. Let's make our predictions for Caleb account. His stat line, Kaysen, I'm going to go with similar to last year. And this is, a again, a number that could change, especially if Cam Hayes ends up being ineligible. But I'm going to go two points per game two assists per game, one rebound per game. I just think he plays kind of a similar role to last year. Nothing would shock me. We've seen Coach Schwartz develop players at all of his stops, including ECU last year. And, um, you know, hopefully Caleb can can have a breakout season. But that's my prediction for his stats. Yours? Uh, yours? I think he's going to average right at three, three points a game, two rebounds, two assists, 
And I definitely think with your point is Schwartz is good at developing guards and he comes from a brick barn tree where they develop a lot of great guards. And I think that if you look at, if you look at what he did with uh, Javon Small going from two to three points a game to where Javon Small is now, I think that he has a great relationship with guards and has the ability to elevate guards' game. And I think he could do that with Caleb here. And I think if he does, it's going to be huge for this team. All right, let's continue on with uh, our, our – I should say let's jump into our American Athletic Conference preview. So we will continue our ECU player previews uh, going into next week. I think we're going to plan to do – Case, and we're going to plan to do Ezra Asar and also look at uh, Benjamin Baela. Look at those two guys next week. So we'll have kind of scouting reports, what those two guys can do going into their – Again, second seasons with ECU as so many guys return. We'll get into some of the newcomers as well as we move forward. But, uh, Kaysen, let's start our AAC preview. Again, anybody listening on YouTube, Facebook, if you got any questions, drop them in regards to especially just this conference as a whole. We're going to look specifically at Memphis and Rice. And let's start with Memphis. We all know the deal. Penny Hardaway, they're always talented. And I got to give Kaysen a ton of credit because I, I've been swamped with recruiting coverage for uh, the football team, which, by the way, you can check that out, hoistacolors.net, for the latest commitments, analysis, all that good stuff. Um, he dove hard into these AAC offseason previews because there is so much turnover in college sports now, but specifically in college basketball. So you may be watching, you're like, why are these dudes previewing Memphis and Rice on June 27th? Well, uh, Really, if you don't look at these off-seasons at all of these teams, you don't have any idea what to expect. And I personally have very little idea what to expect. Kaysen dove into it, sent me the roster overhaul. It's almost going to be a brand-new team for Penny Hardaway this year, Kaysen. A uh, ton of new faces, ton of guys going pro. And somehow DeAndre Williams, though, could be back for year 45 in college. Yes, well – Yes, well, to start off with the uh, DeAndre Williams talk, um, if DeAndre Williams does come back, he will be 27 years old this season playing college basketball. So he could be playing 18, 19-year-olds. So I don't want to hear nothing. He he better average 30 and and 15 a game. If DeAndre Williams gets his waiver and Cam Hayes does not, then we got an issue. Yes, I agree. I, I agree 100%, but also back onto this Memphis team. I mean, this Memphis team last year was a very old, experienced team, and it was and, – and before the season, me and you talked about previewing the teams, and we previewed the teams, and I said that this was going to be a good team, but they weren't going to be – but they weren't going to be great, and in my You were not a Memphis reliever. I remember that. Yes, I was I was not a Memphis reliever because I'm not, I'm not the biggest Penny Hardaway believer. He is one of the best recruiters in the country, but I – but he definitely he definitely showed to me that he can coach a good team and they can go and they can go far. Um, I definitely think that with them going twenty six and nine, it was a very very good good season for them. They also had two of the best players in the country, and DeAndre Williams is a great player, and uh, Kendrick Davis is an outstanding player. Um, I also think that um, their their season also ended with new conference foe F, FAU with a one point loss. And where Davis and Williams both didn't have very good outings, and it wasn't a good outing for Memphis because they only scored 65 points. Yeah, and so a good season for Memphis. I think anytime you make the tournament, it, especially 
with them they hadn't made the tournament consistently recently like they had under Calipari. Um, it was a good season. The problem is you just look at all these guys going out, Kaysen. I mean, Kendrick Davis going pro. Uh, we don't know what's going on with DeAndre Williams. Alex Lomax has graduated. Uh, Franklin has moved on. Jonathan Lawson, Chandler Lawson, both transferred out. Jamar Young Jr. transferred out. He never even played at Memphis. Yeah, so uh, I so he never got a waiver to he never got a waiver to play because he turned his he turned his waiver in late. It I mean that that is a whole mess in of it. That's a whole mess in of itself. And I was listening and hearing doing some research on him and most people who follow follow Memphis basketball very hard. I was listening to them and they said that that was very frustrating situation for uh young and penny because of the just but i mean there's always going to be stuff surrounding this program and that was yeah, just, it's just like it. it's constant man it's just yeah. like there's uh there's guys not playing that should play there's guys underperforming to their credit they were able to you know get enough pieces in last year to go to the tournament uh you mentioned on your report penny suspended the first three games of the season so some uncertainty there um Ton of guys coming in. They added the Florida State transfer, Caleb Mills. They also picked up Nick Jordan from Temple, Jalen Young from UCF, David Jones, the big transfer from St. John's, Jonathan Pierre, looks like a Division II transfer. So a lot of transfers, a lot of incoming freshmen. I guess this is your typical Memphis team, really, outside of last year, which was the one year they were kind of old and veteran. This year they're going to be young and talented, which I feel like is pretty, uh, pretty routine. Yeah, I definitely think this year's Memphis team is going to be the blueprint for most of college basketball going, going forward. And honestly, you could say it for any other college team, whether it's football or baseball as well. It's going to be, it's not going to be rebuild. It's going to be retool. And I think that a major, I think that a major part of this program from the going forward and other programs is going to be building through the portal. And Penny Hardaway sure did do that. And I think and I think that this type of game and landscape is perfect for coaches like Penny Hardaway that that can recruit and can get kids to buy in and can get kids to do this. And he and he has found a lot of he's found a lot of hidden hidden gems in the portal. And doing my research, I found this one kid, Jonathan Pierre. He won a D2 National Championship at Nova Southeastern. With his last two years, they were 67 and one. The last two years, he's a 6'10 shooting guard who shoots 40% from three, averaging 15 points a game. And I think, and I think Penny's ability to find small players like that that are hidden under rocks, these these hidden gems. I think that with his with his he has also has a great support staff, great staff there. You can say what you want about that staff and stuff they do but they but they do get talent and they do produce talent and talent produces wins and i mean you saw it last year and i think and they also have another outstanding freshman class coming in and yes the mikey the mikey williams situation is sticky but they're waiting for that that we're not going to find out about that till beginning of august which also which also hurts which also hurts their team as well because that's because he's a big name and there's a lot coming with him as a player and also off the court. So I think that's looming over them right now, which is not best for them. But I think that another but, Memphis situation. But I also think that Penny and Memphis fans are are you said of course. So they're definitely going to have to deal with that. And also with that, they do have scholarships still open. And uh Javon Quinterly of Alabama just entered the portal and all signs are pointing to him going to Memphis. And I think with him going there uh, it's not certain, but I think he will go there. 
I've talked to a couple of people about that and they think he is straight to Memphis. But I think that if they add him, that is a very good team with Davis, Q and Mills. That's a very that's a very good backcourt that could do some serious damage. And and also and also back to how their season ended, they were one or two possessions away of beating FAU in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And I and and I think that if I think that if they beat them, we we're having a whole different conversation about these previews because every because FAU returned their whole roster. FAU made that final four run. Everyone's very high on them. But if Memphis beats them, FAU is not coming into this conference with all this, with all this hype. And I think that I think that Memphis is going to be as good as last year or better because of the job paying Harvey down the portal. Yeah, I mean, you look at just Caleb Mills, kind of a story of college basketball, third third program now as he started at Houston, transferred to Florida State, now at Memphis. I mean, ECU's got a, thir- a three-college player, too, now in, in Cam Hayes. The difference is Caleb Mills is a grad transfer, so he will definitely be immediate, immediately eligible, whereas ECU's still waiting on Hayes' uh, ruling there. But it's just this is going to be college basketball now, and then you combine Memphis's NIL money whether it's legal or illegal, as uh, Christian says, Penny Hardaway is paying his whole team. Um, they're bringing in four four stars, including Mikey Williams, which you mentioned, just kind of some unknown there, as he's awaiting trial for uh, being, you know, armed uh, or whatever uh, without a permit. So, just so, some stuff there to to, to monitor. The one thing we know at the end of the day, Memphis is going to be talented. They're going to be picking near the top of the league, but they're going to be vulnerable. And uh, I hope ECU gets them at home this year because they did not play them in Menji's last year. They they played them pretty tough on the road for a half, and then things just fell apart. I remember just Alex Lomax getting like seven steals in a row. Um, so I'm, I'm glad he's gone because he used to play like – he used to look like an All-American every time ECU played Memphis. So – I will enjoy him being gone, and I think ECU historically plays Memphis very well inside Menji's because all that crap they deal with, A, pretty poor X and O coaching in my opinion, uh, not a great culture. You know, you look at all these issues they have. This is constant year in and year out. Yes, they're super talented, but they're typically vulnerable on the road, and so I think ECU, if they get them at home this year, we'll give them a run for their money, but – I. You definitely feel like Memphis is going to be one of the favorites in the league, don't you? Yes, I definitely. I, I mean, I would. I mean, I would honestly say I think they. I would say them and FAU are 50-50 right now for the favorite one one hundred percent. And also, and also, but both of those teams, FAU and Memphis, are going to be led by experience and veteran backcourts, which is crucial for college basketball nowadays. But and also, but I, but I will say this: that if they do get DeAndre Williams back. They will be a top 25 team for most of the year. They will be preseason top 25 because he's one of the better bigs in the country. And if you add him with what they have, they're going to be a very good team. But the one weakness they do have is they do lack three-point shooting this upcoming year. So they they are trying to spread the, they're trying to spread the floor more. And I think that Jonathan Pierre, that D2 kid coming out, it's going to be a huge part for them. But I definitely think that if they get Williams back, oof, the American could be – Run through Memphis. Well, let's hope that the NCAA does not. Again, nothing against DeAndre Williams, but you should not have a 27-year-old guy who spent seven years in college basketball playing college basketball. So, 
it's time for DeAndre to go play overseas or in the G League or do something. Um, if you're listening, DeAndre, no disrespect. Just saying, it's time to move on, man. Um, let's move on to the Rice Owls, who on the surface you would say, all right, this is maybe one of the worst teams coming in the league among the new the new uh, six teams entering the conference. But, Kaysen, this is sneakily a team on the rise as Scott Perra, their head coach, went through it early on. A lot of, uh, you know, a couple of losing seasons in a row, but he has quietly built a pretty solid program at Rice. And this is another team that may not get a lot of respect in the preseason polls. We'll see, but I think has a chance to surprise some people this year. So um, give me your your overall vibes on Rice before we kind of dive into them. Uh, well, just just like Memphis, they're a older, they're an older team led by a uh, led by a star point guard. But uh, last year they finished nine. Last year they finished nineteen and sixteen, and um, they finished sixth in the conference and went to the quarterfinals. And this past year they did lose their best player to the transfer portal, Quincy Oliveri. Is that how you say his name? Yes, I think so. Yeah. He transferred to Xavier after averaging eighteen point seven, nearly twenty points a game for them last year. He was an outstanding player last year for them. So and. Coming in, they have some. They have some real. They have some real momentum coming into the conference this upcoming year. So Quincy Oliveri moves on, but they do return a pretty good amount of the rest of their course. It seems like they were kind of one of those teams that was hurt by the portal, similar to ECU, and losing Javon Small, but also picked up a transfer as well. And again, above five hundred last year, around five hundred. And for those that don't follow college basketball, CompUSA was legit last year. Oh, and yeah. we'll get into that as we move into some of these new teams entering the league. But Rice finishing above around 500 in the league, under you know at eight and 12, still within striking distance. I think says a lot. So they return a core. You mentioned some guys here: Travis Evie, I guess is the pronunciation, Max Filder, and Makai Mason. They also signed a Vanderbilt transfer, Noah Shelby, who was a four-star coming out of high school. They picked up Cal transfer, Sam Alajiki a uh, 6'7 junior. So good good little mix here of transfers and returning players despite losing their their star point guard. Yes, and for and Rice and Rice for them had a pretty good season last year at night at 19-16 with the CBI berth and won one game won the first game in the in the CBI. And uh coming off of and then coming off of that season going to the offseason they thought a lot of people thought their roster was going to be completely turned over because of the portal. There was much speculation that uh, Evie was going to lead and Evie was going to leave. And so was Fielder because they were, because they were both getting calls from power five big time programs, but turned, but turns out it was, it was just Quincy that left. And there was much shock when um, I was reading that when Travis Evie decided to come back, there was a lot of, Oh, wow. Like we got a pretty good team here. And then, with uh, Evie coming back and Fielder, that is a very, very good. Uh, that's a very, very good combination right there. And then this is this is a very, very sneaky good team. And last and last year they played they played at Texas at number seven Texas in December and took them to overtime and just lost by six. And I'm and I mean this is this is not a slouch in the American Conference. I mean they 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 they're going to they're going to give you their best every night out, but 
but I definitely think that this team, this this team could be something seriously American. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, I said feed I said fielder. I think it's Fiedler. Six eleven two thirty. I just googled his name, and um, you mentioned his shooting percentage last year. He shot. 82% on field goals on 190 attempts around the rim. And he's also a good passer, 93 percentile in terms of scoring the basketball in the paint. So you got one of the best big men in college basketball, and then you got Travis Evie as well. So I'm not going to lie, man. This uh, I'm, I'm high on ECU going to this year, but this conference, which is a good thing. Look, the conference needs to be good in the net rankings – you need some quality out-of-conference wins for this league to be to continue to be a multi-bid conference. And so if you have teams like East Carolina and Rice who may be seen as programs that, hey, these are lesser teams and the American will bring the league down, if all these teams are top 150 net teams, all of a sudden your conference is going to be very strong. Your losses aren't going to ding you as much. Your wins are going to help a lot more. So I, uh, I'm getting encouraged, and we're very early in these previews, but – I think there's a lot coming back from a lot of these teams that were solid last year, and Rice is another example of that. Any other notes on on the Owls going into the season, as I, far as uh, what you what you see for or expect from them? I mean, they're going to be a tough out. You're not going to when you play them. They're not just going to they're not just going to roll over for you. Um, Travis Eby is going to be a 20 point score per, per game. So if you find a way to contain him, you will be able to beat them. But if not, he could go hot and drop 30 on you. And just like I said, this is this is this is going to be a good, experienced team led by led by Scott Perry and also you with uh, you, you with the talk about the net. I think that because of some of these teams having success, the net is going to go up. But at the but also at the end of the day, if you're not if you're not in the Big Twelve, you're not going to have a good you're not going to have a good net ranking as well. I just want to get that off my chest. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, everybody in that conference is pretty good in basketball. It'll be interesting to see how what UCF um, transition to that league. Uh, I I mean, I, if they win, if they win thirteen games, it'll be a good year for them this year. Where's old Brandon Suggs at now? He transferred to New Mexico State. Is that right? I saw. I don't know off the top of my head, no, but I did see that. I did see that he transferred. Yes. Yeah, I think he's over with the Aggies now. But, um, yeah, always fun to follow the former Pirates, see how they do or don't do. Of course, Tristan Newton won a dang national championship last year. so hard to to fault him. Somebody messaged me. I think it was Christian who said Jaden Gardner would have been better off saying, uh, saying at ECU. I don't think he was getting drafted either way. He was. He's just not a – he's a below-the-rim player that can't shoot from the perimeter. So, like, that doesn't translate to the NBA. Yeah. So, great college and, player. And he was – he was a good player, but but also but also at times he was because I, I watched a lot of AC basketball. At times there were points where he would get he would get ate up down down low because he couldn't he he can't guard the Armando Baycotts and the bigs. So is what it is. Great college player though, and uh, hey, at least he got to go to the tournament only to lose and heartbreaking. The worst fashion. way possible. Yeah. All right, Casey. Well, this has been fun, man. We went a lot longer than I thought we'd do. Uh, thanks first to all of our uh, listeners for asking the questions. We got a ton of them at the start. People are fired up about ECU basketball. And again, we'll continue our discussion next week. We welcome your questions, comments, et cetera. 
and uh, we'll continue to take those. We'll dive into two more players next week. Ezra Osar. I keep saying Osar. He told me it's Ezra Osar. Um, I had to I had to double check with Ezra before I had him on my show a couple months ago. Uh, Ezra Osar and Benjamin Baela. We'll also dive into two more teams in the American. We haven't decided who yet, but we'll get that info to you when we do. Kaysen, thanks, man. This was fun. I feel like we could talk basketball all day, even though it's June. Of course, one hundred percent. I, I love, I, I love college basketball. It is, it is my favorite college sport. Probably one of my favorite sports, right, right up there with the NFL. And I could talk college basketball all day. And I'm looking forward to a season. And there's find some excitement around the program. And I think that because of that, we need to get while the getting's good. No doubt, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back. We'll be back next week. Uh, we'll let you know date and time. Stay tuned. Hoist the colors, Twitter as well. Give Kaysen a follow as well as he'll be with us throughout the year. You've been listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast for Kaysen Romaley. I'm Stephen Igo. We'll talk to you next time. Oh, yeah, by the way, uh, Macy O'Donnell will be back with me on Thursday at 3.30. We're going to continue our football position preview, and we'll talk running backs, which Macy O used to play along with receivers, so we'll have that for you on Thursday afternoon. All right, that'll do it. You've been listening to Hoist of Colors podcast. We'll talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.